Well, good morning. Good morning. It's good to see you today on this beautiful day. I hope it's going to be a beautiful day. It's been a beautiful couple weeks, and um, we're moving our way into fall, and we're excited about that. The only thing I'm not looking forward to is the beginning of November when we push our clocks forward. I'm just warning you now so you can gear up for it now because I hate that weekend. So lose some sleep. The fundamental purpose of the Bible. The fundamental purpose of the Bible, it could be said, is not for us to memorize it, not for us to master it, not for us to conquer it, but for the Bible to ask us a question. So answer this question in your mind. What question is the Bible asking you? Just answer that question in your mind. What question is the Bible asking you? I believe that there's really one question. It frames itself out, I think, in different ways when we look at Scripture, but there's really one question that the Bible is asking us from Genesis to Revelation. It's nowhere asked directly. There's not some place where it says, thus saith the Lord, I ask you this. But this is the question. I believe God looks at humanity and says, are you flourishing? I think we hear it echoed even from places of the beginning and the birth of the world and people. Definitely through the prophets that we listen to all summer long. Definitely in the life of Jesus. Definitely in the writings of the apostles. From Genesis to Revelation, flourishing. Are you flourishing? Now, when we we think about that word, we would not use that word as a descriptor of our society. My guess is we probably wouldn't. If we looked at society and we said, do we live in a flourishing world? My suspicion is we may not use that word. And yet, flourishing is something we all want. All of us. Listen to these words from Hugh Wetchell, and I'm going to explain to you why they're so significant in a moment. But Hugh Wetchell writes these words. His focus, his emphasis has been on on, um, flourishing in the place of the job market and the workspace. And he says this, all human behavior will found to be motivated by the desire for life and flourishing. Every person has a powerful, relentless drive to experience shalom through right relationships with God, families, communities, and creation. Just let that settle on you a little bit. Here's why I think it's so significant that this specific man says that. He is writing this about flourishing as he fights Lou Gehrig's disease. We'll come back to that. There's something deeper at work 
here. Not just our desire, but God's deep heart for human flourishing. Now, typically, when we think about the word flourishing in our world, we, we primarily think about things economic or material. Dallas Willard said that for the secular, secularist or the non-believer, it's a matter of satisfaction of our natural desires. And really, that the secular vision of well-being or flourishing tends to be materialistic and consumeristic. But there's something deeper calling. So let's define flourishing this way. Go ahead and put that next slide up there. Read this with me. Abundant life, nurturing wholeness, and redemptive relationship with God, people, including ourselves, the world around us, and creation itself. Flourishing. And what we see right away is that this is really all about relationship. Foremost, it's relational. First with God, and then extended to people, especially those folks who are brought into our lives close to us. Maybe one great definition, great biblical definition of flourishing is found in that little letter that we hardly ever read probably in the book of Jude. The second verse says this, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. What a great definition of flourishing. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in great abundance. Mercy, grace is getting, receiving that which we don't deserve. Mercy is not receiving what we deserve. Peace, that word, peace, wholeness, we'll come to that, and love. May your life be filled with that in abundance. That's flourishing. So here's the question. Here's that question. Are you flourishing? I am so challenged by this question. Are you flourishing? We have so much religious window dressing that we probably have become so comfortable with. But are we flourishing as God desires us to flourish? And that's what we're going to talk about through the autumn. Flourishing. We're going to listen to this invitation to flourish that comes from Scripture and how it may take shape. But I, I want you to be clear about this. This is not about some kind of spiritual self-improvement plan. It's much broader than that. It's much bigger than that. So we're going to spend a good deal of time starting next week. We're going to spend some time in the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis. And we're going to seek to capture God's intention. We're going to seek to just stare at the way in which that intention was blown up and how we sometimes blow it up in our lives. We're going to hope for the ultimate hope of flourishing when Jesus makes all things right. We're going to focus on the rhythm of flourishing in the Bible, which is this. This is the rhythm of flourishing in the Bible. It is God to and for us and us to and for the world. God to and for us, and us to and for the world. Let's shorten it. Blessed to be a blessing. So we're going to look at that a little bit. We're going to look at the places where human flourishing seems to be absent. We're going to have a couple speakers come in 
Is flourishing happening in a rescue mission or in the darkness of human trafficking? We're also going to be reminded that this idea of flourishing is for all peoples and all nations as we have someone come whose first language is not American English. And we'll have a translator and they'll speak and they'll talk to us about the flourishing of all peoples. But let me add this. In many ways, this is a fluid series of sermons that will extend out. And I'm going to ask you to hang with it. I'm going to ask you to be part of it. Because this is an essential truth, I think, to help us navigate these days. I think there are so many false narratives of what it means to flourish. And we need to ask a question. What is preventing us from flourishing as God desires. So I pray that as we let the word of God question us, that we will find ourselves discovering in new depths the grace of God for us to flourish. Why don't you find your way with me in your Bible, whether on your device or if you have a hard copy, to Jeremiah chapter 29. We turn to what I call one of the most bumper-stickered, refrigerator-magneted, Pinterest-pinned, Facebook-posted, and Twitter-tweeted verses in all the Bible. Right? You know, what, I'm, you know where, what verse I'm going to. Anyone know what verse I'm going to? Jeremiah 29, 11. Right? Look at those words. Put them up there. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. I wonder how many refrigerators those words live on. How many Pinterest pins of little designs that have this verse of Scripture. This verse of Scripture that's really not what we often think it to be. That was like the original title of this sermon was, it's not what we think it is. Instead, I settled on the question, are you flourishing? <laughs> you see, most of the time, Jeremiah 29 verse 11 is used to encourage ourselves and to encourage others personally. We, we want the focus to be on God's desire to bless us and a future, giving us a future, a promise of a future where everything works out. And everything works out the way we hope it works out. But here's the problem. That's really not what this verse of Scripture is about. Not at all. Consider these things about these words that are so famous. Consider this first. This isn't individualistic. This is plural. In using the pronoun you, God is not elevating the individual self and God's plan uniquely for an individual. It's much broader and bigger than that. Look at Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 1. Look at these words right here. Just look at them. Look what they're saying to us. This is a letter from Jeremiah who's in Jerusalem. It's about 597 BC. And he's writing to the people that have been taken from their homes, exiled, and are now in Babylon. He's not writing to a person. He's writing to a people. He's writing to a group of people. This group 
has been repopulated from their homes to the region of Babylon. Now, at the heart of these words that we've been reading from verse 11 is this reality. All the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile, that's who this is for and it's about. This is God's desire for all people, for people. So this is plural. Start there. This idea of flourishing, it's plural. Secondly, these are not conditions for flourishing. Look at Jeremiah 29, verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. They are in Babylon. Babylon, idolatrous, polytheist, pagan Babylon. These people are in the antithesis of conditions for flourishing as they know it. This is not like, this does not look like plans to prosper you and to give you a hope. It doesn't look like that. What they're experiencing is so foreign to what Jeremiah is writing to them. You sang earlier, it is well. It is well. Words that were written by Horatio Spafford as he went over the place in the ocean where his daughters had died from a ship going down. And he wrote these words, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows and sea billows roll, when peace, when sorrow. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. So it really means whatever the conditions, whatever the circumstances of life, it is well. What do we do with that? Sure doesn't feel that way sometimes. But I think this is the lesson. Flourishing is not to be dependent on conditions. This is a hard lesson. Flourishing is not to be dependent on conditions. And flourishing at some measure, is a choice. Horatio Spafford chose. He didn't feel like his well with his soul. Do you think that when he went over the water, which created an ocean grave for his daughters, that he felt like it was well? I don't think so. But he looked at his trust in God, who God had been in his life, and he said, it is well. I am planting a stake in the living God. Whatever is happening, it is well. Thirdly, what is this flourishing? Now we're going to spend weeks unpacking some of that, but if we want to understand what's happening with the whole idea of flourishing, but especially, I come back to our verse in verse 11, Jeremiah 29, we need to remember the idea of shalom. Because in verse 11, this is what it says. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to shalom you. Now, your English Bible probably says prosper, but it's plans to shalom you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. 
But to understand that, we have to go back even further to verse 7. This is what we read. Also seek the peace and prosperity, two words, peace and prosperity, used to translate one word, shalom. Also seek the peace and prosperity, shalom, of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, shalom, you too will also shalom. That's a lot there, but here's the reality. This is what we need to know. This is the primary word for flourishing in the Bible. 250 times in the Old Testament, 90 times with the New Testament equivalent, this is spoken of so much more than the idea of just peace and prosperity. It's so much bigger. This robust word captures God's desire. Eldon Villafani said this, Shalom speaks of wholeness, soundness, completeness, health, harmony, reconciliation, justice, welfare, both personal and social. So this is God's invitation to us to flourish. But again, this is given to a people that is least likely to be a place to flourish. And isn't it interesting? We read those words earlier about, from Yu Welchel about flourishing. He's fighting Lou Gehrig's disease. We sing a song called It Is Well With My Soul, have sung it for generations from a man who was walking through the greatest grief of his life. The conditions around us typically are never perfectly ripe for flourishing. Flourishing is so much grander and greater. It seems to me like those who have the least reason to flourish are often the ones who flourish the most. They're the ones who, who usually have the greatest attention and, 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 and a, a connection, it seems, to the flourishing of God. Two places where I saw that up front more than two, three places. I mentioned this over the summer. Let me mention it again. When we went to Guyana, when I went to Guyana 20 years ago, 20 plus years ago, and they were just coming out of 2,000% inflation due to communism. If you think we have an inflation problem, that was an inflation problem. The infrastructure was so bad, the, 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 they, the, they had holes in the road. We, we had potholes. They had holes. The van would fit in the hole. They'd kind of go through them gently. And they never knew whether they'd have power or not. They told us, well, we may not have power tonight. We'll see. And, and yet, and they struggled immensely in the jungle with diabetes. It was a death sentence for them. And yet, I never met more joy in praising God than in these people who had nothing. Liberia. A number of us went to Liberia. At the time, Liberia, I think it was the sixth poorest country in the world. You know what really struck me was that those people did everything they could to try to give us the best of what they had when they had nothing. And their passion and their zeal and their worship and their praise 
was so full. They didn't have the conditions for flourishing. And yet they flourished. These people are in the least likely place to flourish when they get these words from Jeremiah. So it tells us that flourishing is more than a, a nice, blessed life, according to our ideas of blessing. And yes, it's not just about us personally as much as about us in community. So, so what do we do with all of this? Well, let me leave you with these three things. First of all, be a hopeful presence where you find yourself. I'm going to share with you some of the most counterintuitive words that could have been given to a people in the Bible. Counterintuitive. But what these words do is these words blow up the idea of an isolationist, antagonistic focus of the people of God against the world. God says, not Jeremiah, but God says this in verse 5. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. What we have to see in the language is this. There's a list of what we call imperatives in this, these two verses of Scripture, which means they're bringing attention to the Word. These are commands. Here they are. Build, settle, plant, eat, marry, find, give, increase. What's interesting to me is that most of that is outside of us. It's not self-focused. Right in the middle of everything you do not want life to be. That's what's happening. Right in the middle where you do not want life to be, you are to make a conscious decision that says, I am going to show up in the world and be present. That's God's hope wherever I find myself. Place matters and so I'm going to anchor myself in a place and I'm going to choose to flourish there. I'm going to choose to flourish right there. Here's the second thing. Therefore, seek the flourishing of the community and the people you are in and among. Now, if we just live in verses 5 and 6, we could think that only those like us and of like-mindedness are our focus on flourishing. But we have to be honest about verse 7. Seek the peace and prosperity, shalom, of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Now remember what we said, this is plural, but look how plural it is. The city is not the structure, it's not the roads, it's not the boundaries. The city is the people. Babylon is made up of people who would be considered their enemy. So God, not Jeremiah, says, look out for your neighbor's flourishing, even if that neighbor is your enemy. Wow. I don't know about you, but can you hear the echo of the king of the universe, our Savior's voice? But to you who are listening, I say, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Somehow, we think that's original with Jesus, but 
I go back to Jeremiah 29 and I hear God saying the same thing. This is how Peter the Apostle put it. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. That's all about seeking the flourishing of the community and the people where God has placed you. And have you thought about that? That that wherever you live, whatever community you live in, this church that you're a part of, it's not so much your plan and how you've figured it out, but that God has placed you there for this purpose. But how do we do that? How, how do we do that? Is this just about being good people in the world? There's lots of good people in the world who have nothing to do with God. Lots of them. Well, here's the third thing, and this is the key thing. If you get nothing today, please get this. Please get this. It's a choice. Choose to be wholehearted. Not half-hearted. Wholehearted. Choose to be wholehearted. Wherever you find yourself right now, in your life, in your relationship with God, in your relationship to your neighbor, in the struggles you're facing in this world, in this life, And if this isn't a message for you, it's certainly a message for me. Choose to be wholehearted. Verse 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Would you please say those words with me? You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Somewhere, write it down. Make a note whether it's a mental note, a physical note, Jeremiah 29, 13. Write that down, think about that, and then know this. If that's not true, then we're not on the course, the path to flourishing. If that's not true, as we're going to see next week, flourishing doesn't start with us. It's in the heart of God for us. Without this, without this whole heart in this, there is no flourishing, there is no shalom. Shalom is directly connected to God. Apart from God, there is no shalom. There's imitations of shalom, but there is no shalom. So the culture of these people, where they had been deposited, was pulling at the seams of their identity as God's people, challenging their allegiance and their worship to God, offering false ideas of flourishing. So this instruction is given. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Or as Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be given to you. And the question that rises out of that is this. Do I do that? Do I do that? Am I doing that? That's not a question for you right now. That's a question for me, but because now it's been raised, it's a question for you. Do I do that? Do I? Because it's God's word questioning me. Do I do that? Seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. 
There is no shortcut, my friends, to flourishing. It's through wholeheartedness toward God. I read something very interesting this week. Maybe you did as well from J.D. Walt's blog. He talks about Brother David Stendhal Rast, who is a monk, and a man who was exhausted and broken down from life went to this monk and, and asked, what is the cure for exhaustion? And this is what he answered. The cure for exhaustion isn't rest. It's wholeheartedness. Now hear that. He's not saying we shouldn't take care of ourselves physically, quite to the contrary. You know what wholeheartedness does? Wholeheartedness practices Sabbath. With God, with self, with others. So wholeheartedness isn't, he's not saying that we don't find those places of physical rest, but hear it again. The cure for exhaustion isn't rest, it's wholeheartedness, because God cares for us. Well, J.D. Walt goes on to pray this prayer. Abba Father, this is exactly what I need, wholeheartedness. It is so easy for me to get stalled somewhere between tired and exhausted. My heart can grow weary. It is easy to, easier to settle for some temporary escape like a nap or a vacation or another glass of wine. I need wholeheartedness. I need you, Jesus. I'm asking for you to awaken me to the next leg of this journey from glory to glory. Holy Spirit, fill me up and lead me to this place of wholeheartedness. Make my heart whole. I need courage. I need healing. I need help. I need you. Yes, I need you. Even better, Jesus, I want you. Praying that in the name of Jesus. Amen.